As the founders intended, Mojo 5 I may not have a license to kill, but liberalism dies a little every time I pull the trigger on it. This is a conservative's perspective. Hey everybody, James Bostic here. A conservative perspective on the Mojo 5 radio network. Mojo50.com. If you aren't listening, you should be because it is the very best in libertarian and conservative talk radio. Good to be back with you on hiatus last week. And I was in Gettysburg. I was in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for Civil War reenactment. And uh, we had a fantastic time, man. Great, great time. Uh, and I'm ready to get back with it. Everything just gets nuttier every day, doesn't it? It just gets crazier by the damn day, it seems. And it also seems that there is a very, very large measure of the American public that doesn't even bat an eye at it. And I think a case in point, one of the most stellar cases in this point, is Joe Biden for the last two years. Joe Biden on the campaign trail. Joe Biden in office. Joe Biden, every time he steps up to a microphone, reveals further deeper glimpses into his dementia. He addressed the United Nations this week. And, uh, well, it's like this. <laughs> it was, you know, just as every other time he gets in front of a microphone, it becomes evident just, you know, how far out of whack this guy is. The UN address was was no different. Here's here's what I'm talking about. We need to create a new mechanism to finance global health security that builds on our existing development assistance and global health and and a global health threat council. Council, <clears throat> but we're not seeking. Say it again. We are not seeking a new cold war to address the urgent threats like COVID-19 and climate change or enduring threats like nuclear proliferation. The United States remains committed to preventing, to preventing Iran from gaining a nuclear weapon and a belief in the universal rights of all people. It's stamped into our DNA as a nation, and critically, it's stamped into the DNA of this institution, the United States. We sometimes forget it sounds like we sometimes forget where we are, Joe. Uh, it's uh, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse, incrementally worse. Some days it may not be so bad. Other days. It's like the UN Council. It, it's like it's like all the other mangled speeches 
and and oratory that we've heard from him over the last two years. That's all. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Look at him during the 2016 campaign. Just go back. Just go back four or five years, six years. And look at the guy then. Look at him now. Did he say stupid things then? Oh, absolutely he did. (laughs) He said stupid things in spades. Do you hear me? Spades. But now, I mean, it, it, it goes beyond stupid things. Now, you know, a lot of times it's just gibberish. If he doesn't have a teleprompter, if he doesn't have an earpiece, if he doesn't have a note card, he cannot function. Well, he's not functioning at the level he is supposed to be, at at the level of expectations of the chief executives. He's not even close. He should be hanging around one of his houses in Delaware, maybe something close to the water, eating ice cream. Eating ice cream and uh, and playing with the kids, playing Mario Kart, hanging out. That's good. That's what he needs to be doing. He doesn't need to be where he is now, and everybody knows it. Do you think the Chinese, or the Iranians, or the Taliban, or anyone, any any of our adversaries, any any group in the world that wishes us harm, do you think Joe Biden gives them any pause? whatsoever of course not of course not case in point let's take a look at what our uh, what our security partners in Afghanistan are doing the Taliban yeah they're, they're in, remember the State Department says we can work with these guys we're gonna we're gonna bring them in and they're gonna they're gonna help against ISIS K they're not bad anymore they're good and they're going to help with ISIS-K because they're our security partners. Well, Nuruddin Turabi, who's a founding member of the Taliban, said on Thursday that the group will resume executions and amputations as punishment for violating Islamic law, no matter what the international community thinks of its barbarous practices. The cutting off of hands is very necessary to security. Tarabi told the uh, the Associated Press, cutting off of feet uh, was apparently necessary, too. That's a punishment for highway robbery. The mullah, who lost a leg and an eye fighting the Soviet invasion in the 80s and became the Taliban's minister of propagation of virtue and prevention of vice until the U.S. invasion of 2001, credited his enthusiasm for amputation with providing complete safety in every part of the country under the, under the previous Taliban regime. Kind of hard to shoot somebody when you don't have any hands, and you definitely can't kick their ass if you don't have any feet. The Associated Press spoke to a few Kabul residents who said they were uneasy with the Taliban's brutal punishments but thought they might indeed be effective at reducing crime. The mullah insisted, I know, I I had to just stop and think about that. The mullah insisted carrying out these gruesome punishments in public, sometimes at stadiums, was important for deterring lawbreakers, although he hinted 
that the new Taliban regime would soon develop a policy on public executions and torture that might be a bit less grandiose. They're going to allow for six-foot social distancing. I wonder what the Taliban's policy is on coronavirus and vaccinations. So our security part, our security partners, taking women, marrying them off to Taliban fighters, suppressing them just like they did in the old days. Rounding up the folks who helped us during that time that, that Joe Biden led. By the way, there's probably at least a thousand, a thousand American citizens who remain in Afghanistan that were left behind by Joe Biden and the Democrats. They said a hundred, more like a thousand. And I would expect the next time that we see them will be when they are being tortured and murdered. A thousand hostages to do with whatever they want, whenever they want. And they will. And the United States, what will the United States do? The United States won't do anything. Joe Biden's not going to do anything. You saw how he left Afghanistan. He is not going to re-engage. He's not going to do anything like it. Nothing close. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I fear. And I see, I see no immediate course correction. I, I really don't. This is going to go on until we have a shot in the 2022 midterms. But here's the thing. It, it's going to have to be overwhelming on every single level, on a city level, on a municipal level, on a county's level, state level. It's going to have to be everywhere. It's going to have to be a massive repudiation of these insane Marxist leftist policies that are driving the country into a grave. That's the only thing. And, and I, you know, and, and until then, nothing's going to change. None of this is going to stop. Not any of it. The border's going to stay wide open. These, these Afghans that no one vetted that are committing crimes... Already, they're in their military bases. A couple of them broke free from where their, uh, their their containment area was, and they sexually assaulted uh, a female army member, a female soldier. That's what we got coming into the country. Oh, and the army referred it to the FBI. The FBI is going to look into it, and these guys are going to be away to hell and gone before anybody does anything about it. And this poor girl is going to suffer the emotional scars of this. At the hands of a, of, a, of a government and a military that couldn't have cared less, that, that see her as simply collateral damage, a necessary sacrifice in the larger scheme of things. And that's not the only incident. These guys have, have been caught. You know, one of them pleads not guilty to strangling his wife on a mil- on Wisconsin military base. Other guys uh, molesting 12-year-old, 14-year-old boys at Fort McCoy. It's a vetting failure, if there was any vetting at all. I think they just started loading people up and bringing them here, and he didn't care. And personally, I think there are probably people who were banking on as large a number of bad actors as possible of, of coming into the country. Why? I don't know why. 
Why would anyone want to get a bunch of bad actors in the country? And these people are, are they're just they're just spread out. They're blown into the country and they're bust and they're flown everywhere. Like being injected with a cancer, like a lethal drug. You want to come to America? Hey, that's great. You know, come to America. We've had we we have been cool with people coming to America since it's been America. But if you want to come to America and do the things that these people are doing, no, you come, you assimilate, you become an American. You don't become an Afghan living in America and pissed off about your life and wanting things to be like it was, you know, in the country you left. You come to be an American. You aspire to greater things. These people don't understand that. They have no aspirations. They have no aspirations beyond destroying this country and those things in this country that they consider foreign and alien to them. Stay home. If that's if you don't want to come to America to be an American, stay your monkey ass at home. We don't want you. I'm going to move on from the Biden thing here for a minute because I get too agitated. Uh, I, I found something astonishing today over at Conservative Treehouse. And I want to share it with you. I'm not going to share all of it with you. I'm going to share a lot of it with you. Russell Brand. Do you guys, are you familiar? Do you know who he, he's a, a British, he was, a, he, I think he was a comedian. He wasn't particularly funny. But, but he, no, seriously, he had some pretty good stuff. But he, he, he had some problems as well. And he's a recovering heroin addict. And he, he like a lot of troubled people. Um, but he came through it. He's a... Uh, He's excruciatingly left. He's, a, by his own admission, a socialist, a limousine liberal, a Learjet socialist. He doesn't see himself that way, but that's that's primarily what he is. He's got a boatload of money. Um, I don't know what he does with it, his charitable contributions or whatever, but he's a left-wing guy all the way. And we're going to play a few minutes of this podcast. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to let you listen to it. And then after a few minutes, like I said, we're not going to do the whole thing, but you'll get you'll get the gist of it. And then... I posit a question. Get a load of this. The world moves so fast, there's almost no time for history. It seems like years ago that we were hearing that Trump was colluding with Russia, that he wouldn't have won the election without Russia, that his whole presidency was a kind of Putin plot. Well, there's now serious evidence that it was the Clinton campaign and Hillary Clinton acolytes that were directly involved in the generation of what has proven to be a conspiracy. Untrue. Think about how much media you watched. Me, a person who I would think, broadly speaking, is from the left, a liberal, certainly not a Trump-supporting Republican, with respect to those of you that are, I find myself in awe, gobsmacked, flabbergasted and startled by these revelations that Russiagate was a democratic conspiracy. Let's unpack that now with the help of Glenn Greenwald. A lawyer for Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign was indicted on Wednesday with one felony count of lying to the FBI about a fraudulent Russiagate story he helped propagate. We have to recollect just how prevalent this story was. Every late night talk show all over the news, it was just, you were bombarded with it. It qualifies as collusion. The product of collusion. And collusion. And my personal perspective is, I want the world to be better. I want to believe that the Democratic Party are reliable, that they are the party of inclusivity and diversity and truth and social justice and all great 
positive ideas. What my concern is becoming is that these um, are totemic issues pushed to the forefront to mask ordinary, regular corruption. Like the Russiagate thing, the Hunter Biden laptop, all of that stuff. Like there are people that just absolutely believe that that's true. And when you watch something like that Social Dilemma documentary that says we all live in bubbles where we feed off certain types of media, it's becoming like uh, there's becoming a deep bifurcation with people over here believing in this reality, people over here believing in this reality. And in a sense, we need to come together to form a collaborative vision for what America is or accept that you can't have nation states anymore, that you'd be better off with separate confederacies, separate independent places where people can believe in their own separate truths because truth is complex. But lies are obvious and Russiagate was a lie. Michael Sussman was charged with the crime by special counsel John Durham, who was appointed by former President Trump to investigate possible crimes committed as part of the Russiagate investigation and whose work is now overseen and approved by Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland. Sussman's indictment is the second allegation of criminal impropriety regarding Russiagate's origins. In January, Durham secured a guilty plea from an FBI agent, Kevin Klein-Smith, for lying to the FISA court and submitting an altered email in order to spy on former Trump campaign official Carter Page. The law firm where Sussman is partner, Perkins Coy, is a major player in Democratic Party politics. One of its partners at the time of the alleged crime, Mark Elias, served as general counsel to the Clinton 2016 campaign. The lie that Sussman allegedly told the FBI occurred in the context of his mid-2016 attempt to spread a completely fictitious story that there was a secret server discovered by unnamed internet experts that allowed the Trump organisation to communicate with Russia-based Alpha Bank. I wasn't following that stuff particularly closely, but I remember it was seen as a defining issue uh, in the election in 2016, still in 2020, it was something that was being talked about. And it was like being sort of, in a way, discussed as if it was just an absolute fact. To discover that this was propaganda, a construct, a confection by the Democratic Party, who of course are now in government, is it's kind of beyond disappointing because you begin to question and query what other things may not be true. Once you recognise that people create certain truths in order to meet certain ends and aims, the idea that you might be able to trust their integrity obviously dissolves. This in itself is a big enough issue to cause concern. But what else is implied? I suppose what I personally think is it suggests to me that everything is a kind of construct. All of the information that's peddled and rendered is unreliable. The primary function is to create a state where people do not query or question and go along with edicts and ideas that are convenient to the powerful. And truth is just just lost and just irrelevant for, for expedience. In the context of the 2016 election in which the Clinton campaign had elevated Trump's alleged ties to the Kremlin to centre stage, this secret communication channel was peddled by Sussman, both to the FBI and to Clinton-friendly journalists, as smoking gun proof of nefarious activities between Trump and the Russians. Less than two months prior to the 2016 election, Sussman secured a meeting at the FBI's headquarters with the Bureau's top lawyer, James Baker, and provided him data which he claimed proved this communication channel. It was in the course of trying to lure the FBI into investigating this scam conspiracy theory when Sussman allegedly lied to Baker by concealing the fact, outright denying, that he was peddling the story in his role as lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign as well as a lawyer for a tech executive hoping to be appointed 
as the top cybersecurity official in the soon-to-be-inaugurated Clinton administration. Again, I suppose like many of the stories and subjects that dominate the current news cycle are so important that you want to believe that what you're being told is as just authentic conveyance of truth not that the person that's paid like if at the time we're like oh there's this you know there is these allegations that trump was um in cahoots with russia who's saying it oh the lawyer for the clinton campaign who will be given a role in cybersecurity in the event that the clinton administration comes about do you think that could be a factor then? I mean, in a sense, we need a class. Like One of the things people continually lament is that we have these this class of professional career politicians who can't be relied on. But actually what you want is a class of professional career politicians who can be relied on. And part of that profession should be you can't have these relationships outside of it. You can't have people campaigning for this, having these type of relationships, leaving this office to go into this office, leaving this role in government to go and work for that tech firm. All of these things require some sort of regulation. Sussman's claims that he was just acting as a concerned private citizen. <laughs> Look, I'm just a concerned private citizen, just like any. I'm just a regular Joe that's currently working as a lawyer for the Clinton campaign, just a mum and pop operation. Then I'm going to be just a regular guy, a regular Joe six-pack, heading up cybersecurity for the Clinton. I've got no skin in the game. I just want to see justice served with this imaginary pretend bunch of lies I'm peddling. Those claims that he was just a concerned private citizen were negated by numerous documents obtained by Durham's investigation, including billing records where he charged the Clinton campaign for his work in trying to disseminate this story, including his meeting with Baker at FBI's headquarters. I'm just a regular citizen receiving payments from the Clinton campaign. I'm just conducting meetings with Baker at the FBI headquarters. Got to drop my kid off at a soccer game. Then I'm going to do some little league practice. Then I'm having a meeting at the FBI. I'm just a regular Joe. I'm a concerns yes. <laughs> this is a really specific life you're living the fbi went on a wild goose chase to investigate sussman's conspiracy theory but the bureau quickly concluded that there was no evidentiary base to believe any of it it has long been known that the trump affa bank story was a fraud a report issued in December 2019 by the DOJ Inspector General revealed that the FBI investigated whether there were cyber links between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, but concluded by early February 2017 there were no such links. So from 2017 onwards, why was it still being peddled? Because it was a good idea. It was a good idea. The whole dislike of Trump from the left was based on, this guy's corrupt, this guy's an idiot, this guy's a liar. Yes. Yes. That Russell Brand. And he has a, um, a pretty sizable podcast, from what I understand. And I don't know if this was, say, for example, and, and I got a feeling there have been a number of them, but I don't know if this was his particular road to Damascus moment, if this was his road to Damascus moment on this particular issue and you know this is a pretty complex issue and to unravel this or at least to unravel it to the point to where the individual unraveler looks at it and says oh my god this was a con job from the get-go this was a scam this whole thing it was a hoax and apparently based on what you've heard there and that was yeah it was that russell brand he's come to that conclusion 
And his listeners, apparently his followers, are going to hopefully come to the same conclusion. But what does that mean? I, I really don't know what that means. Okay, let's let's just take it. Well, we're running out of time here. Um, let's see. I guess. Well, we can talk about it some other time. We can talk about it here. What What does that mean? Let's. We got a couple of minutes. All right. Will it change the left? Will they crumble? Because Russell Brand has seen the light on this particular thing, and he has shown this light to his respective listeners. The left and the people that plot and conspire are not going to stop. They're not going to go, oh, man, Russell Brand found us out. We're busted. We got we to stop everything, guys. They're going to keep going. But it will lead to a greater awareness of what they're doing and that they're going to keep going. And I think that is probably important. What's also important now is that we are down to the bottom of the hour. So I've got to close up this half of the show and we will be back on the other side of these commercial messages with a whole lot more of a conservative's perspective, which you are listening to right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network back right after this. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. It's original. It's bold. It's patriotic. It's American. It's American Pride Roasters Coffee. Historically, great coffee. AmericanPrideRoasters.com The Daily Mojo with Brad Staggs. The point I, I worry about... And there's, Is there a point there's in a here solution. somewhere? I was kind of hoping we yeah. get to one sooner or later, but... <laughs> Well, I, it's got. You told me I have to do three, two, one, go. What's a, the point? I have to have a conclusion at the end. Good. Well, you're and at the end. So, so get to that conclusion, would you? Because we're waiting. Go in three, since, two, one, and in summation, go. Um, we start polarizing and isolating people. And, and furthermore, at the end of the day. <laughs> If you can't beat them, join them. Every dog has its day. Easy come, easy go. For more of the political ramblings. Is ramblings too generous? I don't know. Maybe it's just a rambling is good. Yeah. Okay, rambling. Weekdays, 8 Eastern, Mojo 5 Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. And just before we go, let's end the evening with a word from the leader of the free world. I'll personally write a check to anybody who can decipher what Joe Biden is trying to convey here. Yeah, that, you know, well, you know what do you want to do with Biden? I want to box him. 
I should be so lucky. You know what I mean? But it is the, the, the kinds of things, or, you know, stuff that's coming out of Florida, stuff that's coming out of, you know, Robert E. Lee been in Afghanistan, you're the one. No, anyway. Florida, uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, how is that man dressing himself, let alone leading the most powerful nation on earth? It's the elephant in the room. Okay, it. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a diagnostician. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. I'm not a gerontologist. I'm not any of those things. But I don't have to be. I just have to be a reasonable, prudent, normal, rational person oriented times three. And I am. I worked once upon a time during my shiftless and aimless years as an activities director. They weren't really shiftless and aimless, but you know, I, I was kind of didn't really have a, a direction at that time. But I worked as, a, as a, an activities director for a couple of different nursing homes, um, and it was a great job. It was a great job. I grew up. With only one grandparent, my my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother. I never knew either one of my grandfathers. And I lost my father's mother, my paternal grandmother, when I was very young. And I was kind of bereft of that as a child. And it, and it was really great because it was, it was, though, to me, I equated it with it was like working in a house full of your grandparents. And, and it was, it really was. I was, I was lucky in that I got along well with those folks, and we had a lot of fun as an activities director. I tried to do a lot of great things to keep them active and engaged mentally and, and, and physically, and, and I think we did okay with it. Uh, everywhere I went, we usually had a pretty good uh, recreational program for the folks to help kind of round out their lives, and I'm proud of what I did there. And that kind of work, whether whether it's being a nursing aide, which by the way, nurses aides, God bless you, God keep you, God love you. The backbone of any good nursing home, you're going to find two things that are really really top notch. Two departments: the nursing aide department, the nursing aides, and your housekeeping staff. Seriously, I mean those are the backbone. It's like you think it's the nurses? Yeah, they're important. They keep an eye on a lot of important things. But when it comes to the comfort, to the dignity. To the care, the true care of a nursing home resident, it's your housekeepers, it's your maintenance people, it's your dietary, it's nurses' aides. God love you all. And none of those people are doctors or clinicians or diagnosticians, but they too have seen and understand the various phases and conditions that arise with cognitive decline. And that's that. And again, that's what I say. That's the elephant in the room. They used to say it about Ronald Reagan, uh, and and I think perhaps in those latter days, yeah. But they said it from the get go. They said it. They said it about him from the very beginning. And and they've taken these things. And, and they we're not allowed to say it now. But remember when uh, Donald Trump was president? Wasn't that long ago? They said he was crazy from the get go. They had people 
diagnosing him with all sorts of psychological maladies. And there wasn't anything wrong with the guy other than the fact that he couldn't be bought. He wasn't beholden to them. He really wasn't necessarily a true member of their club, although he was a member. I think he was always looked at somewhat askance. As soon as he started running for president, up to that point, everybody on the planet loved him. Democrats loved him. Black leaders loved him. Everybody loved him. He decides he wants to run for president. Well, this son of a bitch is crazy. Obviously, he's insane. Listen to these doctors over here that we've paid to say what we want them to say. Get your lab coats on, boys. And, and, and that's exactly what it was. He's not running the country. He never ran the country. He was never going to run the country. He's an ideological hack. And he's going to go along with whatever the other more connected, if that's possible, and better juiced ideological hacks above him want him to say. It won't be any different with Kamala Harris. It won't be any different with her if something happens. And and again, you know, I have said or had said that I never thought he would make it through the summer. I thought that the stressors and the the pressures of being the chief executive would uh, would have crushed him at this stage, and I thought he would be gone. That we wouldn't see him. That he'd be otherwise incapacitated, and they would be, you know, he's alive. He's dead, like Francisco Franco or Leonid Brezhnev. You know, he's alive. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's dead. No, no, he's still alive. Hold on. Yeah, and it just. But he's he's still around, still still eating ice cream. He's on vacation now. He's back on vacation again. Uh, huge infrastructure bill that's going to cripple us financially and probably be the death knell of this country for generations. And the Democrats are scurrying around and, and squabbling over this. Joe's uh, Joe's double dipping. Joe's double dipping somewhere on the beach, and uh, and loving life. Doesn't matter. It's all good. But the, the truth is still there. It's all still there. None of, none of the things. We, he's still going to be cognitively declined. And tomorrow, it's going to be a little bit worse. And the day after that, it's going to be a little bit worse. May not be noticeable, but it'll be there. And the time, I still believe, even though I was kind of off, off on my timetable, I believe that the time is still coming. Like those end of the world people, they calculate when it's going to, the world's going to end March 25th, 2004. Well, wait a minute. We forgot to factor in the leap years. It's actually going to end March 25th, 2006. And, and, you know, it never does. But I think in this case, uh, time is the one obstacle that cannot be overcome here. And at some point in time, Joe Biden's cognitive decline is going to outstrip the ability of these nootropic drugs, this cognitive cocktail that they have him on. It's not going to work anymore. It's just not going to work. It's going to be too much. His cognitive decline is going to be too much for this. He has, you know, he has note cards. He's got an earpiece. I mean, we have all kinds of evidence for this. He's not going to take, there are not going to be press conferences the way that Donald Trump had press conferences. There will probably, I doubt there have been, I haven't seen one, and it's unlikely there ever will be a chopper press conference. Uh, 
President Trump, when he was leaving to go somewhere on Marine One and be on the helicopter, be a gaggle of reporters out there, he would stop, he would talk, he would ask, you know, he would take questions. He would answer uh, the loud mouths and, and you know, and, and a little bit of back and forth. Then he would get on the plane, and, or the helicopter rather, and he'd, he'd shove off. You're not going to see that with Joe Biden. Joe Biden walks away from that podium. He's not taking questions. You know why he can't take questions? He doesn't understand them. Okay, he couldn't answer them. Could you imagine, just for a moment, imagine if you will, as Rod Serling would have said, which reminds me of a great story, but I'll tell you that later. Uh, imagine, young Ducey, the, the fox, I can't remember if it's Steve or Peter, one's the dad, one's the son, young Ducey. Over at, at Fox News is a Washington, he's the White House correspondent for, for Fox News. And here lately, they're not really, I don't want to be critical of the guy because he's asking legitimate, honest questions. Are they altogether that piercing or probing or incisive? I don't know. But they are incisive enough and disturbing enough to where Jen Psaki can't stand talking to the guy. And she will give him the runaround quicker. And, and, and he simply asks questions that can't be answered or they can't be answered. <sighs> they can't be answered in such a fashion as they will satisfy the questioner or the audience once they've heard the question. Could you imagine Peter Ducey Asking those kind of questions to Joe Biden. That would be the end of the press conference. This guy's not going to take questions. He's he's not going to do a whole lot of interviews. Everything that happens with him, I assure you, if Joe Biden is in front of a camera or he is in front of a microphone, whatever his words are, they're not his words. He is a conduit. And that's all. He, these, are, these are not his thoughts. He may agree with them, or once upon a time he may have agreed with them, and he may steal such as far as that cognitive metric holds. Uh, what would they do? They can't let him answer questions. It would be, it would be just like what we heard at the beginning of the program there. Let's, let's revisit that for just a second. Yeah, that, you know... What do you want to do with Biden? I want to box him. I should be so lucky. You know what I mean? But it is the, the, the kinds of things or, you know, stuff that's coming out of Florida, stuff that's coming out of, you know, Robert E. Lee been in Afghanistan. You're the one. No, anyway. Okay, let's go ahead and turn loose of this guy right now and move on to something else. I discovered this guy. Uh, about a week or so ago, he he is uh, his name is Neil Oliver, and if you haven't heard of him, he's a, a Scottish television presenter. He's an author. Started out life as an archaeologist, and he's done several several documentary series uh, on archaeology and history. But he uh, he's also a pretty pretty sharp observer. I think of what's going on 
And the things that he's talking about, he's talking about from the perspective of the United Kingdom. However, they they translate pretty well to the United States in terms of the relationships between the people and their governments. And let me see if I've hopefully... Okay, well, it's going to take me a little minute here. <laughs> I, I thought I had, but I have not, and we'll get that squared away for you. Got the I, just take a look. It's about six minutes. Interesting stuff. Heavy Scottish accent, but still understandable. Neil Oliver. There's fear in the air. There's no mistaking it. It's made all the more noticeable by the fact Britain has never, not in my memory at least, been a fearful place. And for the longest time, the British have not been a fearful people. I remember unrest and discontent. Of course I do. I remember righteous anger. But I don't remember the smell of fear. I say the strongest smell of fear, not just here, but elsewhere in countries of the developed West, is emanating not from the ordinary people, but from the leaders. Leaders of governments. Leaders of giant corporations. There are plenty of frightened citizens as well masked up and isolated, driven to distraction by months, now years of mismanagement, misinformation and propaganda, all of it combining to create a wearying, debilitating sense of constant anxiety and uncertainty. But the strongest smell of fear comes not from those at the bottom of the pile, rather from those at the top. And what are they so frightened of, these governments and leaders? I'll tell you what. They're frightened of their own people. They're frightened of us. And there are a lot of us. It wasn't until the first decade of the 19th century that the population of the world reached a billion. It took another century and a quarter after that milestone for the headcount to double to two billion. And then just 30 years to get to three billion. It's estimated that now we're adding an extra billion people every 15 years or so. There are eight billion of us now. More people alive at once than ever before. More people means more and more pressure on all the things worth having. Not just toilet paper and diesel, but freedom and space in which to live and roam. While the many queue and squabble over loo roll and gas for the tank, because that's where the mainstream media is goading us to look, the leaders tell us our troubles are all our own fault anyway. Brexit breaking supply chains, our lifestyles making the planet too hot. All they need is more of our time, they bleat. More of our cooperation. More of our money. Just more. But as the line goes in the outlaw Josie Wales, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. As well as the leaders, the billionaire elites are fearful too. Billionaires are adding billions to their wealth, not by the decade, but with every week and month of the present crisis. I can imagine it might be frightening to have so much when so many beyond the castle walls have so little or nothing at all, not even hope. I think of a technocrat billionaire and in my mind's eye I get an image of a cat being carried through the crowds on a busy city street inside one of those plastic crates you see in airports looking out at us through the grill with fearful, uncomprehending eyes. With great wealth comes great anxiety, apparently as well as fearing the people. Like the leaders do, I think those billionaires don't much like us either. We're like ants and wasps, spoiling what might otherwise be a lovely picnic just for them. 
Our small lives are petty concerns. Rent, mortgages, health and education are beneath them. More importantly, our lives are made so different by circumstances we're becoming increasingly incomprehensible to them. There are two groups to watch, those with everything to lose and those with nothing to lose. Leaders feeling backed into a corner by the great unwashed often seek safety by demanding and then taking more and more control, for our own good, of course. From the beginning, emperors have felt safest when as many people as possible are kneeling down or lying flat on their faces so they might be walked over. It's hard for a person to defend him or herself from a kneeling position or prone, far less fight. Fearful leaders need insulation between themselves and the people and so prefer to hoard everything of value, food, resources, wealth, so they might dole out the crumbs. There's already talk of an end to money as we have known it, to be replaced by something virtual and digital you can neither see nor touch. Imagine a world where it's not you that decides how much of your money you can spend on beer or meat or a holiday, but an algorithm making that decision for you, for your own good. Fear makes the fearful lash out. Australia makes for shocking viewing right now. Black-clad enforcers dressed and armed more like stormtroopers than police and beating citizens with sticks, firing rubber bullets at them, kicking and kneeing them while they lie pinned and helpless on the ground, men throttling women. My family and I spent time in Australia. My kids went to school there and learned and sang the national anthem of those days. I clearly remember the line, Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. Not so much now, apparently. Is Australia the canary in the coal mine? The weather vane showing which way the wind is blowing? Your guess is as good as mine. What we have now is an unholy alliance between fearful leaders and contemptuous billionaire technocrats. Together they have the tools to take all and keep all. Never in the field of human relations has so much been taken from so many by so few. I say the best leaders are those the people barely notice, those who, without fanfare or hope of immortality, defend freedom and let people go about their business unmolested. Those that seek praise for their efforts are tolerable too, as long as they keep the lights on at the same time as preening for the cameras. The leaders, the people and then history do not forgive are those that make themselves feared and then despised. Remember at all times that your life is your own, and your hopes and dreams weigh the same as those of any emperor or billionaire. They're frightened. You can smell it. it smells like victory. Hold the line. Everywhere we look, under the guise of COVID safety or whatever you want to call it, and tribalism, the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed, you know, you, what we see through the pandemic is a rise in authoritarianism throughout the Western world, throughout the free world. And just as we see it in the United Kingdom, Neil Oliver, once again, that's the guy's name, uh, that was, and I, I said BBC, I think, but it's not. It's Great Britain News, which I don't know is, uh, if it's affiliated with BBC or not. But anyway, that's, that's what it is. And, and what we see taking place in the United Kingdom, what we see taking place in, in particular in Australia. And if you aren't aware of what's going on down under, Google, Australia, COVID, 
Uh, look, look at what's going on with what they're doing. It's getting militant. It's getting, it's getting really ugly. And it's, it's coming that way here in the United States. And the intent, according to Jeff Lewis, who is a contributor at American Thinker, frequent contributor at American Thinker, lives in South Texas. The intent is this. Okay, COVID is the means through which they intend to destroy America. And if you're thinking, by the way, if you're thinking that Biden's policies, Joe Biden's policies are destroying America, you're right. And the worst part of this is that this is exactly what the Democrats want. Richard Andrew Cloward and Francis Fox Piven were both Columbia University professors, longtime members of the Democrat Socialist Party. They were the authors of the Cloward-Piven strategy. Now, to simplify, uh, for the purposes of our conversation, but not oversimplify, what, what the Cloward-Piven strategy was, was to overload the American public welfare system and create a crisis that would bankrupt the nation, leaving no choice but to adopt a, a socialist communist system of government. And the ultimate objective of the of the 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 Cloward and Piven strategy was to establish a guaranteed annual income, thereby eradicating poverty. The essential takeaway, and, and, and there are, and like I said, it gets more complex, and there are, you know, are proponents of the Cloward Piven strategy who are just in love with the idea of destroying America and think that this is the pathway to it, and they'll, they'll refine it, they'll tweak it, they'll say different things. But basically, as we have characterized it for our conversation, that's what it is. Now, the essential takeaway with the Cloward and Piven strategy is to collapse the government. And, and the financial system in the United States, and then rebuild the country into the ever sought after but never achieved socialist utopia. Maybe the best thing about Barack Obama being elected president and serving two terms, along with the Democrats' deranged reaction to Donald Trump's election, is if nothing else, the radicals are no longer in hiding. They're now saying out loud in public and in broad daylight things that nobody, nobody in Bill Clinton's administration would ever have said or admitted now, if nothing else. We can clearly identify the enemy in plain sight. And who is not just inside the gate, but entrenched throughout our vital national institutions. These radicals are not slowing down. They're pedal to the metal, and they are accelerating. Time is critical. We have to resist them at every opportunity, locally and nationally. And we have to let them know that we're not going to shirk our duty to stand for freedom. Here's a short list, just a short list of what they're doing to try to wreck the country. And if you look, you'll find that there are many, many more. What's the first thing? Well, big government socialized healthcare. Nearly every network, evening news, and local news broadcast starts with what? A COVID-19 update. Another sales pitch, maybe, to get the vaccine or to scare the, the unvaccinated and shame them into taking it. 
Government health agencies and bureaucracies focus only on vaccines of waning effectiveness, and that's killing people. Still, they insist that we must get vaccinated or we'll get lockdowns, we'll get masks, we'll get every other mandated measure that they can think of. The currently installed administration is now exerting top-down control of preventative medicines and is aggressively seizing monoclonal antibody treatments from states that use them to distribute them equitably to states that don't use them. It's all meant to make us do as we're told. And it proves the long-held assertions among conservatives that socialized medicine equals what? The rationing of medicine and care and lets the government decide what? Well, who lives and who dies? Resist. The next thing on their list, it's been a long time in coming, and they've been working for a while to do it, even going back to the Clinton don't ask, don't tell days, is politicizing the military. The United States Armed Forces and those who currently serve or have served in the past have been a perennial source of pride for Americans. The military has been one of America's most well-respected institutions. And in less than seven months, the installed regime has revealed just how politicized the military leadership has become. It is an understatement to say that the retired military views with very grave concern the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. The reports of the back-channel communications from General Milley having with his Chinese counterpart and the purge of any officer in leadership who expresses a severe concern for the social justice initiatives currently being taught. Douglas Murray, a British political consultant, commented on Tucker Carlson's show lately that once you begin to politicize an agency that's meant to represent the whole country, it is a terribly self-destructive move. And bingo, that's exactly what the Democrats intend. Destroy the country by making its citizens unwilling to serve and unwilling to defend it. Resist. The entire retired veteran community needs to be heard on all of this as well. Then there's the open borders. Since the installed regime's illogical, reflexive, and disastrous, some say illegal, repeal of every measure the Trump administration enacted to secure the border, the situation is continually degraded before our eyes, at least when the news media honestly reports about what's happening. The evidence of the humanitarian crisis is overwhelming. The number of illegal aliens found dead on South Texas brush country ranches has increased. Fatalities on the border states' roads and highways have also risen from illicit human traffickers' attempts to evade border protection or law enforcement. And, of course, the human toll exacted on those who cross the border. They endure the elements and facing overcrowded processing facilities is impossible to calculate. None of it's compassionate. None of it is for the illegal aliens' welfare because unknown numbers have become indentured servants to the criminal enterprises that brought them to the United States. They'll likely never know freedom. The Democrat Party, its apparatus, and the installed administration all want to change America's demographics to have more voters who are dependent on government largesse and who will vote Democrats, cementing its permanent political power. It is a sickening subjugation of the rightful legal citizens of the United States. 
and we must resist. And I have gone way over time. That's all we've got for today, folks. Thank you so much for the opportunity to spend a little time with you talking about all the stuff that happens in the interesting times we live in. We'll be back here next Sunday taking a look at things as we do through a conservative perspective. In the meantime, God bless you. God bless America. We'll see you then. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O.